Hello and welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Michelle Andrews and Matt Berner from CooperVision, and we talked about sustainability from a corporate level and how that relates to a, our practices and the things that we can be looking at in our practices that can make our practices more sustainable from an environmental or from a health and welfare of our employees. But also, we talked about how that sustainability will actually improve the long-term ability of our practices to thrive, especially in a time uh, when we are kind of thinking about COVID and um, how we're going to uh, best manage our, our practices now. We may have an opportunity to look into the long term and see how some of the things that we do as our practices come back online full stream can be better about managing the resources we have, which ultimately can impact our our business's bottom lines. And so with that, I hope you enjoy our conversation. As always, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and support those who support us. Where are you physically out of? Where do you live? I'm in Walnut Creek, California. Oh, you which are. Is, uh, I was there. I was yeah, there a month ago. Oh, were you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, yeah I actually and, uh, flew in and did a course. Um, uh, I flew into San Francisco. I guess it would have been the 7th of, of March. I guess not quite a month ago, but right before all this kind of blew up in San Francisco. Yeah. California was, uh, I, I guess they took more of a proactive approach and they kind of shut down things quite early on with their their quarantine which i guess a lot of other uh states and and counties are picking up on now yeah it's hard to know what to you know again it's hard to know what what to do i've been trying to i don't think i've what i see happening i don't know if you listened to the podcast this week but what i saw happening with uh you know i I was kind of last week i was kind of having running through my mind of of, I, i didn't articulate it very well but I was kind of running through my mind like, how do we know that, how can we know that what we're doing isn't causing more damage in the long term than the short term pain that this, that this disease is going to create? And, um, and, and now I'm actually, the, some of the podcasts that I'm listening to at the exact same time, I think they were sort of having the same conversations or the same thoughts as like, you know, um, is it going to hurt our ability to take care of people that we can easily take care of now because we don't have the resources to take care of them in six months or 12 months or 18 months, whatever, however long this drones out, you can do most of your business from home. Yeah, fortunately I could, I could do just about all of my, my business from home. I've had to cancel a number of, of trips that had been planned, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of conferences and such are shifting to more digital platforms. Um, you know, my visits and stuff could be done through, through teleconference in a lot of cases. So yeah, I've been, I've been bunkered down. I, I haven't really even left the house, um, at all. I, I went out for, for a hike over the weekend. Um, but it's been since about last Monday, I think, and ventured out, you know, I, I go outside in my yard and all that, but it's uh it's a very strange feeling. And I imagine you're, you're in a very similar position, right? Yeah, it is. It's, you know, in in a lot of ways, I, I mean, the things that we've had to do, the things that have been canceled um, for our, you know, our kids activities and um, all the extracurricular sporting events they do and all that kind of stuff is actually kind of nice. And I'm wondering what you think of, of, 
you know, the ripple effect of this will be in terms of re- forcing us to realize that we, we don't have to travel as much. I mean, what do you think is going to happen now that we're going to be in a period where we have to rely more on some of these remote conferencing? Do you, do you see anything that, that's going to change what will happen in the future of how we, how we manage some of these um, conferences and meetings and those sorts of things? I think, you know, there, there might actually be a silver lining in all of this in, in that it's causing us to take a, a big step back at, you know, what, what is essential for us to do. There's a lot of things that we do day to day in personal lives and our professional lives that are, are, you know, nice to haves, but are they really essential? And I think one, one thing that I've been monitoring that, that has been kind of, like I said, a silver lining here is we're seeing a lot of, uh, of carbon emissions in, mm. in, you know, in densely populated areas that have come down substantially just because, you know, there's, there's not as much industrial activity happening. There's you know, flights are canceled. Commutes are, are not happening anymore as people work remotely. And so, you know, if, if we're really serious about fighting climate change, which I think we should be, I think this is one, one learning that we could take away from this into, in, in terms of, you know, like, this is having a positive impact on the environment just by less activity is, is the activity once we return to normalcy, is that activity essential or, you know, have we learned that we're so adaptable that we could do things differently and maybe, you know, realize this, this positive impact on a more long-term basis. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's nothing measurable yet that, but it's just sort of, you know, how many, I mean, they can measure how many less cars, how many less flights, all that kind of stuff. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And there there are actually some, you know, some emerging technology companies out there that are focused on kind of like real time air monitoring using a number of, uh, you know, visual or sensory technologies. and, And they're seeing the, the emissions down across the board. And so I think that's, uh, that'll be really interesting when we have that data, we accumulate it over time and we do that comparison and it'll be a trade-off. It'll say, okay, look, we could return to full normalcy here. Or look, if we, if we try to balance what we had during the, uh, the, the pandemic outbreak in terms of uh, scaling back activity, maybe we could scale it up a bit but if we if we don't go back to what we had before, we're able to maintain a certain level of, of emissions. So I think it's it's going to provide a lot of good learnings. And I, I mean, I think there's going to be learnings across the board coming out of this, which which is really good. I mean, you have to look for the positives in you know in such a, a challenging crisis such as this. Of course, I mean that's I mean that 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 is absolutely the what we're trying to do in our practice. And just me personally is trying to find you know in all the the wave of whatever is coming, you know, trying to find these ways that we can improve in the short term and the long term. And, uh, you know, as you said, one of those things is just being able to be, to figure out what is truly important. I mean, you start looking at once we're not eating out a bunch, and again, the ripple effect of all of that is, you know, we don't want to impact other businesses that are helping other people who are coming to our businesses. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of that, that, that makes me pause as well Is if I'm not running around, um, taking my kids to different businesses to help develop their different sporting activities, for example, well then, you know, I'm not using my money to, to, um, stimulate those businesses and they're not paying people to stimulate my business or, you know, and, and there's a, a trickle down from that. But, really what it makes me makes me think about is 
how little we actually need. I mean, you know, how little we actually need to live, you know, by the time you, you factor in all of your, all of your activities, you take all those away, take all the frivolous eating out away. Um, it's really not that much. And it's, and it's actually kind of a, in a lot of ways, it's been kind of a really nice, better life to have. Very simple. It's unfortunate that it took a pandemic, but this is happening on a global scale. And so I think a lot of the actions you see being taken across the world right now, you know, individual companies may have been very hesitant in the past to even experiment with those types of activities because they would have been concerned like, oh, that's yes. going to compromise us economically and we don't want to you know, you know, impact our GDP negatively or put us at a disadvantage compared to other, other countries economically. But since this is across the board, it's kind of an opportunity for everyone to, to hit that kind of reset button at the same time. It's very, very interesting, but you know, it's, it's, it's extremely scary because you don't know what the, the end result will be. Yeah. There's so many moving parts that it, it's hard to be able to say that, you know, for example, we can point to the positive that you did of, of all the, the lower pollution, but what's hard to know is, well, how many other things are, is that going to impact that we can't know right now and we won't know for, for a time. And, and so I, I guess I, the, the, that actually leads me, Matt, to, to kind of a question about um, the, because that's sort of what you do with Cooper Vision is to try to figure out, okay, we're going to have these economic impacts. Um, or we're going we're gonna to do these things to have a better, more sustainable environment in our, in our company. But you also look at that from a standpoint of when it is sustainable from a global perspective, from even an environmental perspective, it also has to be sustainable for the business. And, and that's kind of interesting to me because I think it's, it's a step that a lot of us don't even think about, especially in optometry and our smaller practices. A lot of us are trying to do some things, but it's a bigger picture approach. How, how do you take that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a bigger picture approach. But the way I like to think about sustainability is that, you know, if, if done right, it, it's going to benefit the business both from an economic standpoint as well as from an environmental or social standpoint. Because a lot of times taking the sustainable step just makes core business sense. You know, in terms of if you're, you're trying to lower your impact by using less energy or using less water or using less paper and other materials. You know, that's that's obviously going to have its environmental impact in a positive way, but it's also going to make your business more efficient. You're you're reducing costs in a lot of ways, um, and so that's what I like to look for when when I'm you know, and it could be scaled from some of the largest industrial businesses out there all the way down to to individual offices. It's you know, it's making your business more efficient, with which has that knock-on effect of lowering its environmental impact. Matt, what's your background in order to, to, to kind of get into how you started thinking about these things? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's been something I've thought about across my entire career. I actually b began my work on the investment advisory side where I was conducting analysis on behalf of large institutional money managers, those that are holding you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of assets in, in public companies for I, I was conducting analysis of ways that they can use their influence as large shareholders to change behaviors, change actions of companies that they held for, for the better uh, from an economic, from an environmental, from a social perspective. And so you know, a lot of folks might have shareholdings in public companies and are familiar with the, the proxy voting process where every year 
you get to cast your vote in the companies you hold on a variety of issues from electing its board of directors to deciding on individual matters that shareholders may have brought up. And what I did was I analyzed those and tried to assess, okay, what's what's the best outcome here for shareholders? What's the best, uh, you know, balancing the needs of the business with balancing the needs of trying to make environmental and social improvements? How can these these shares be voted in a way that will will send that message to the company? So it was, it was a really great foundational uh, approach to to corporate responsibility and sustainability because I was able to look at a broad cross section of companies across the U.S. Hundreds of companies and look at the various issues that they're facing, the diverse issues that face each industry. And then what I did presently, I've been at Cooper for almost a year and a half now, is I get to take that kind of that, that core knowledge I developed on the investment side and bring it in-house in terms of being able to work with all the, the various functional groups across the business to try to implement solutions that, that improve that, that social and environmental performance. So I still still pay a lot of attention on the investment side because that's that's where a lot of the uh, the expectations are generated but it, it imports, importantly it covers other stakeholders as well which include like employees you know, they have their own set of expectations and that they want to mm-hmm. work for a company that shares their values um, customers sorry uh, sorry Matt I want to jump in because uh, how important do you think that is like in your experience is it across the board employees really highly value, value that? Is that generational? Is it, um, is it across the country when you guys hire different people? What, what are your thoughts on how important that is in, to employees and, and uh, does it make a difference on who you're, who you're employing? I'd say increasingly more and more it absolutely has, has a huge effect. I mean, it, it, has an effect on retention in terms of employees that are currently at the company that want to continue to work for a company that's making a positive uh, social impact, environmental impact. But importantly, more and more we're seeing the workforces of the future have this as almost a core requirement. You know, they're, they're looking to work for companies that are, are doing good. And so we recognize that and, and we try to, to operate in a way that, that meets those expectations and could build trust with our current employees and the employees of the future. And when you think about, you're going to continue on when I interrupted you, you're going to talk about customers as well. Um, so continue on. You were saying, you know, customers value it and what ways, so there's two things to think about, uh, you know, from a Cooper standpoint is, you know, you've got really two customers. You have the doctors, but you also have the patients. And so, how do you communicate that message and how do you decide what you're going to, um, what you, how you're going to take those different sustainability approaches for both of those groups? And maybe I'm misreading it. Maybe you even have another customer as well. I don't know. No, I'd say those are probably the two primary uh, customer groups, the, the direct customers and then their, their patients. And I th- think we communicate the, the same message, but it's just the way it gets across to the, the the end recipient might be a little bit different. And that's where we really try to leverage the the practices that are our customers to help us cascade that message to the patients. Because, you know, we, we, we do a lot of work to improve our communications on, you know, like our, our corporate website, on our on social media platforms. Uh, but a lot of times, maybe the inpatients aren't as aware that that even exists out there. So we rely upon the, the practitioners to, to help cascade our message. 
when you think about like when you're going to figure out different ways, so I'm trying to put, put what you do uh, at a very large scale for a really big company to what we do in our practices of like, what's the kind of things you're looking for? And, and even if you give me specific examples that you've seen over the last, let's say, well, 18 months since you've been there, specific examples of what you look for when you go through these different processes to say, oh, this could be something that would be valuable for us to, to take a different approach to or something like that. Yeah, well, Cooper Vision thinks about this in terms of four pillars of sustainability. The first one is conserving energy. Second one, saving water, reducing, reusing, and recycling, and then empowering people. So we, we break down our thought process and our, our action process in terms of those four pillars. And what that, that allows us to do is really take a step back at how we're operating our business and, and really analyze, okay, can can there be improvements made in these various areas? Can we use less water through our process? Can we, can we repurpose water, for instance, that could be run through our cooling towers in our large manufacturing operations? Same, same type of question on conserving energy. Uh, it, are there ways that, for instance, we could improve uh, the, the lighting used in our operations, mm-hmm. like you know, conversion to, to LED lights? You know, that's one great example that's totally scalable, that, that has a benefit for a large large facility that has a benefit for even you know, the smallest office. And, and so we do a lot of that type of retrofitting or, or trying to identify those, those projects. And so that, that would kind of be my advice to, to, to the practitioners is just you know, take a look, take a step back and take a look at your business and where are you maybe using things in excess? And, you know, I said another pillar would be reducing, reusing, recycling. You know, how, how much you know, plastic are you going through? How much, how many, um, what amount of paper are you using on a day-to-day basis? And, you know, maybe there's opportunities to go, go more digital or, you know, just ask the question, am I recycling everything I could be recycling? And those, those are the same types of questions that we're asking that I think are valid. And, and, you know, I said valid for an office, but valid at at my home as well. I I tend to ask those same questions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because, you know, we've had this conversation planned for quite some time and I'm, I'm super excited that we've been able to have it. But it's almost very timely because a lot of the things that you're talking about right now, you know, for example, you know, lighting is probably not something that that docs during this COVID-19 stuff is going are going to go out and change right away. But now it's all of a sudden on my list. And oh, by the way, there there's potentially I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud and you you would probably know this better. But in some localities, there's probably some tax benefits that can come from from switching out from you know, incandescent bulbs to LED bulbs. Uh, so, so tell me about, you guys have a, a kind of a revolutionary um, facility that just opened in Costa Rica. What are some of the things that you were, I know you probably mentioned some of them already, but uh, some of the things that you were able to do on the front end that now will carry on through the rest of your facilities as you upgrade them or develop new ones. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned our Costa Rica facility. So yeah, we, when we opened that, we were committed to getting a level of certification with LEED, L-E-E-D, which is Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And this is a, a certification program under the U.S. Green Business Council. And they go through and they, they look at all aspects uh, from how the, the plant operates to how it, it has an end impact on the environment. 
And, you know, that includes things like we were just talking about in terms of high efficiency illumination. Mm-hmm. illumination. Uh, that includes you know, how is the, the facility using water. Um, and what I could say about the Costa Rica plant is, is there's a rainwater collection unit there that's able to divert water from uh, in, into the laboratories. And so it's, it's really a process that examines from, from start to finish all the processes that the, the facility is designed for and how does it do so in an efficient way. And so that's we, we have the LEED Silver certification at our uh, facility in Costa Rica, and we also have LEED, uh, LEED certification at our distribution facility in Madrid, Spain. So then you have, um, and so all of the things that you're doing, because this is interesting to me, because you were talking about your background as a investor and somebody who's doing this for investors. So for, you know, part of the things that, that actually kind of take us, take me back a bit is that like my wife and I, when we started investing more and more, um, once we were able to, to use uh, resources to purchase our practice and, um, and then we had, we, we went to our financial guy and we said, well, we want to be able to invest more in, in, and our, one of the things that we said was, here's a list of companies we don't want to invest in. And, um, and so he called it, um, maybe social, socially aware or socially conscientious investing. And we actually thought that, that like we were kind of rare in doing that. And, um, but you're telling me that these big, big investment groups that have tons and tons of money, they do this all the time. And he, he actually told us that, well, you're probably going to have, we have funds for you. We can figure out all that kind of stuff. And, you're probably not going to have as good of returns is what he told me. But I'll tell you what's really interesting is that our returns over the really last four years since we've been pretty aggressive, I mean, we've been investing for longer than that, but, but four years since we've been more aggressive, our, our returns are better than, than all the indexes. And our losses so far in, during this COVID-19 stuff aren't nearly as bad as all the indexes, which is kind of interesting to me. And you probably have a uh, a pulse on why that would be from your background uh, before joining Cooper and then with working with investors now that you are with Cooper. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I guess what I would say there is, and you know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of you, but I could certainly speak on behalf of these, these larger, larger asset managers is they're investing for the long term. They, they're intending to, to buy shares of a company and hold it over, you know, over decades even. And so what they've decided in many cases, and, and it, this is a growing field, it, the, it's recognized that this is growing in importance um, and more and more investors are tacking onto this line of thinking, but it's that if we invest in these companies that are, like you had said, more socially conscious, more environmentally conscious, um, committed to being good corporate citizens, this is going to protect their investment over the long run. They, they say all, all else being equal, this company is more likely to to exist and prosper well into the future because they're thinking about the future. And so, you know, it comes down to a choice, you know, and, and like you said, uh, I, I think what you had mentioned is what's called like exclusionary in- investing, like mm-hmm. determining certain industries or, or categories where you, you don't want to put your money. And, and the idea there is that you're not certain that those industries are the best uh, place to put your money over the long term, And so, like, like I said, it comes down to a choice, you know, and employees make that choice, investors make that choice, customers make that choice in, in terms of the companies they're going to work with and partner with and invest in. 
yeah, it's it's really interesting to me is is we were sort of just prepared to say, well, that's fine if we don't make quite as much money in the long run, it's okay. But but we didn't even think about the the stance of like, well, it actually might even be a better investment to invest that way, which is kind of interesting to me and and actually uh, just because of my naivete of not being in, um, not being on those kind of thinking about this as my main, you know, my main thing. And, and then you and I and Michelle, um, Dr. Andrews had talked about this uh, prior, but I wasn't even aware that like the United States, the United Nations has different um, sustainable development goals that, that companies and big investment groups can kind of look to, to, to kind of guide what they're doing. Tell me more about that. Yeah, the the UN Sustainable Development Goals. They're actually it's it's a framework that was intended for for governments throughout the world. Um, in 2015, all all members uh, member states of the United Nations came together and they they were there to decide. Okay, what's a 15 year agenda that's going to get us development throughout the world, developed and developing countries alike, in a way where all people are going to going to prosper. And it's not going to have negative effects on the environment, for example. And so they looked at everything from how what would need, needs to be done to alleviate poverty, what needs to be done to take appropriate action to mitigate climate change, how do we enhance health and well-being throughout the world. So they they came up with 17 goals. These mm-hmm. are the, also called the global goals, and and that's really it's it's the agenda for development that the United Nations has has decided across the board that that's, that's what needs to be achieved by 2030. And, and they've called on, on the private sector to, to play a huge role. The private sector is a source of employment, a source of, of finance, a source of technology development. So there's, there's a broad awareness that the private sector could play a huge role in achievement of these goals. And you know, I said there's 17 of them. I, I probably could recite them all off, but <laughs> I don't want to take that time. So I would just say, you know, it, it's a quick internet search. It, it's all over the place. Um, UN Sustainable Development Goals. And I, I, I really, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think the more awareness that is out there, the better. Because like I said, it's, it's broadly recognized that almost everyone on earth could have an impact on these goals in some, some way, large or small. And so I think it's great when businesses step up. I'm, I'm really proud that Cooper has stepped up there. And what we did is we looked at all 17 and we said, okay, where can we have the greatest impact? Which which of these 17 goals are most relevant for our business? And so we honed in on three of those goals that are really, when we talk about corporate responsibility, those are kind of our, our guiding goals of, of how we want to approach corporate responsibility. So so Matt, um, let me back up a bit. So first, um, when, the, when the United Nations kind of developed these goals, uh, they're not saying that everybody needs to do all 17 of them. They're basically saying you could pick and choose which goal is really important to you or which goals are important to you. And as long as you're, and you can use that then as a guide to try to take different steps in those directions. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say that's correct. I mean, different countries have identified priority goals for them given their, their state and um, and the, the matters that, that they face individually. And that's the same is true for, for companies as well. But I think what's important to note is that the, the 17 goals are part of a holistic agenda. So it's, it's not meant to say that, okay, you could focus on the goals that are relevant to you, but in doing so, you may compromise some of the other goals. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's 
uh, that's counterintuitive. It's they're all supposed to be achieved together in harmony. And so, so when I say we've prioritized three, that doesn't mean we're ignoring the others. It okay. means we're 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 thinking primarily in terms of what can we do to address these three. But but of course there there may be opportunities uh, that we think of in terms of all the other seventeen goals. And and that's an important uh, important to note that goal seventeen is called partnerships for the goals. And that that's really that all encompassing concept where you may have to come together with other parties with, uh, you know, governments may have to partner with one another. Governments may have to look to the private sector or the nonprofit sector to achieve these goals. And so that's really, it's an acknowledgement that everyone could have a role and let's all come together to do what take what it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. So the, the, you said you prioritized kind of three main, so even though the 17 are all important to you, You've, you've talked about three main uh, goals or priority goals. What, what would those include for Cooper? Yeah, we went through a pretty thoughtful exercise last year to, to identify those three. And the, the first one is SDG number three, good health and well-being. The second is SDG 12, responsible consumption and production. And the last one is the one I was just talking about, SDG 17, partnerships for the goals. Mm-hmm. And and then when you do that, then that sort of guides your ability to say, like, um, well, good health and well-being, we think it's important for our employees, for example, to, you know, um, maintain uh, healthy weights and healthy lifestyles, you know, not smoking, those sorts of things. Is is that correct? That would be an yeah, example absolutely. Of, of how you do that? What, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great example. So then what would, um, like, what would that include then specifically in, in your program uh, to achieve that goal within your employees? Yeah, like you were saying, you know, healthy employees are engaged employees. And so what we've done at Cooper is we have a, a longstanding uh, employee wellness program that, that's global, that has a number of programs ranging from, um, you know, offering fitness centers or, or gym subsidies across the world at our, our locations to having a network of what we call wellness champions who are there to in, encourage and organize uh, health or fitness activities uh, and even even positive activities uh, in terms of their community impact, like like beach cleanups or um, or litter pickups. That, that all is kind of encompassed under our view of wellness, where it's just a holistic view of enab- enabling our employees to live live healthier lives, to, to be active. And uh, to to really come together in in groups, which is really we've seen some great results with that over the years. Matt, do you have an idea of when you incorporate something like that? Do you do you also now have the ability to calculate, um, like, if we're going to include a gym, or you know, in a smaller scale, like if and maybe Dr. Andrews, you want to uh, answer this question as well. I'll I'll open it up to both of you, but. Um, if, if I were going to include, say, a gym membership, like we get out of the COVID-19 stuff and I'm like, what ways can I actually be a better place to work, um, a better employer? Um, and I wanted to include, say, a gym membership. Can you, or even not just a gym membership, but maybe like different um, goals to say, if you can get to the gym this many times a week or whatever, like we give you different rewards. Have you guys been able to calculate a return on that investment? Like one, it's, the, it's, it's for the good of the people that are working with you. But two, have you been able to calculate the return on that investment in terms of maybe health insurance that's lower? Or I mean, like how would, how would you go about doing those types of things? Or have you seen a, a return on any of that? 
Yeah, I think what I could say there is, um, you know, there there are ways to calculate that return on investment. And, you know, one other component of our wellness program would include something such as biometric screenings, you know, where we, mm-hmm. we provide the resources for employees to annually get their, their health checkup. And I think what, what has been proven over time is when employees are paying attention to those numbers, their, their own individual numbers, it, it does tend to, to, you know, limit some longer term conditions mm-hmm. that they may not have been aware of. So I think there is, it, it's, it's difficult to put a, a specific number in terms of the return on the investment. But I think in terms of employee satisfaction, that's that's kind of a more qualitative factor that that's easy to measure. When and employees, you know, when they're able to have uh, tools at their fingertips that enhance their work-life balance, I think you see they're happier at work, they're happier at home, and that just makes them a, a overall more engaged and productive employee. Yep, yep, and and it like you said, if you're paying attention, um, if you're paying attention to something, the more that you're paying attention to it, the typically just the better it is. It, it will tend to improve as you, as you focus on it. Exactly. And our, our wellness program is, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Michelle. No, go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just trying to say that our, our wellness program is designed to, to make that easier for employees to put, put those tools into their hands to, to really empower them to be able to take charge of their own health and well-being. Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Andrews, you um, you know, you probably have some some insight there as well. But I would think that a lot of this extends to, I mean, just when I think about good health and well-being, I mean, you could easily throw in the, you know, myopia control and myopia issues um, into a lot of that when we think about you know the detriment of what happens long term. Not just so. So I guess we would kind of extend that from focusing on what Matt was talking about with employee wellness, but you know, if we're going to focus on our patients now, that could probably serve that goal. It absolutely does, Chris. I think our product portfolio and the approach we take to the products we bring to market absolutely sit very appropriately here mm-hmm. under, under this goal of good health and well-being. You mentioned myopia management. We have a new lens, the MySight One Day contact lens, that is designed to focus on some children with myopia and not only help correct their vision today, but really look at their long-term visual health and well-being. Um, and so products like that are certainly um, products that we're going to continue to pursue because it does, it, it does serve a purpose, um, an important purpose beyond just vision correction. It also ties back when we look at the, just the size of our complete portfolio. Mm-hmm. We do have a very large portfolio with with over 21 million prescriptions. Um, and with our new Biofinity Toric Multifocal mm-hmm. Launch, we're adding over another 200,000 uh, mm-hmm. prescription options with that. And so one of our commitments for uh, quite some time is that we've been known to be um, that organization that takes care of uh, those special prescriptions, those that fall outside of that large part of the bell curve. Um, I think we've earned a great reputation there and the innovation that we continue to bring forward continues to support that commitment um, to everyone so that everyone has the opportunity um, to see well and live their lives with the best vision possible. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think, I think it's been, it's been great that, uh, that we've got those things to align. And then it's also, I think, as I start thinking more about some of these things that, 
large companies are devoting resources to very intentionally, we could take a step back in our practices and say, all right, well, what are the things that we are doing? We could take an analysis of some of these different goals and say, which ones are our pillars? And then say, okay, because what it seems to me is that some of the stuff that we're doing already, I mean, a lot of the stuff we're doing already is serving those goals. And it's just, it's just kind of prioritizing where they are and figuring out, oh yeah, well, this is what we're doing and this goal is being served. And uh, maybe if we're going to serve this goal better, this next thing that we can do can serve that um, additionally. It's not like how, you don't have to completely revamp what you're doing, I guess is what I'm saying. No, I don't think you do. I think it's, it's um, in part awareness, first of all, is, is understanding it and then finding how what you're doing fits in and mm-hmm. how it fits in to the bigger picture. And, and sometimes it's simply organizing it in a way that you can effectively communicate it to your team so that they can see how everything connects. Um, you know, Matt was talking about all of the wellness programs that we do and the things that people have the opportunity to participate in. And just earlier today, I was on a, on a call and one of our leaders recognizing that many of us are working in environments that are not our natural environment, mm-hmm. many people working from home. Um, the first comment on the call was, I want to make sure that everybody is taking care of themselves. And most specifically, it's very easy when you're working from home to not separate your work from oh, your yeah. family. Yep. And so it's such a simple thing. But yet the power of making that the first statement reminded me that, that we don't have fitness centers to reduce you know, a, a line item on an insurance claim. Um, but this is really culturally important to us, that the people we work with care very, we care about each other. Yep. Um, and so while there's, there's great benefits to be achieved by that, there's also great benefit to work with a group of people who are truly looking out for you. And so we see these things as part of our everyday conversation, and which is really, I think, one of the things that reminds people of why they choose to work where they work. And yeah. so it can be a great um, associate retention uh, tool um, for all the right reasons. You know, I've just to give you some perspective of what we've been doing since COVID-19, we've tried to, first of all, we're, we're limiting our patients to you know, we're, we're going down the list and we see a, 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 most of the patients I see are not what would be considered routine eye exams. And, and I don't know, Michelle, if you've been paying attention to all the stuff that's been going on since, um, since the CDC uh, recommended a postponement of all routine dental and eye care. But if I were to ask you three weeks ago what routine eye care is, I think the vast majority of optometrists across the country would have said correctly in their minds, um, it's it's just a re- it's a prescription it's a, a an examination that generates a prescription for glasses or contact lenses in a patient that is asymptomatic and and healthy. I mean that would have been a very easy thing for people to to report, and now it seems like that is not as clear anymore in people's minds because of the the preamble or the preface of trying to con- preserve uh, your services for urgent and emergent patients. And so what, what we really had a challenge with is I look at my schedule during the day and, and there's almost nothing routine, um, nothing that is, you know, I, I, I always joke to my dad, I wish we, we, I'm looking at my schedule, I'm thinking, wow, it'd be really nice to see a, a routine 18-year-old patient today. Um, but 
the intent, I think, of what the CDC was doing was trying to say, try to limit your your encounters with with people who would be considered routine. So then is a routine patient, a patient that has, you know, uh, category two macular degeneration or category three macular degeneration that's low risk, um, can we push that patient off two to four weeks? Um, or a patient that has stable glaucoma or stable dry eye or, you know, those sorts of things that wouldn't be considered routine, but but is under these circumstances potentially. And so what we've been doing is trying to say, well, let's take it a step further. Let's talk to those patients. If a patient feels like whatever they're coming in for, well, the doctors will review their charts. And then whatever they're coming in for, if, uh, if the patient still feels like, if I'm looking at a patient and I'm, see, I'm looking at their chart and I'm saying, you know, this patient has had stable glaucoma for years, um, we can, I'm seeing them every six months, uh, two to four weeks is not going not gonna to hurt them. But if it's in their mind that it's an urgent enough condition that they want to keep their appointment, they'll do so. But, and so that's kind of how we've operated that. Um, uh, and so in doing that, we typically have two doctors here all the time. Um, but what we've done to try to, again, for our patients' well-being and also for our staff's well-being is to say we want to make sure that we have only one group of people here at the same time. And that group, so we basically split the doctors up. Every, every doctor is only, you know, the doctors are only here one doctor at a time which means that I'm only seeing patients two days a week and our associates seeing patients two days a week and uh, my dad's seeing patients one day a week as opposed to always having two doctors here. Um, and then we basically have two teams. So the, the you know, half of our team is working from home and half of our team is working in the office. So if we do have somebody on our team that gets sick or we do have an exposure with somebody who uh, it turns out that they were symptomatic and had COVID-19, then we're only down half of the half of the team and only one of the three doctors and um and so i guess i say that to you to say that like yesterday for example i was working from home and um and i was literally banging away um writing and uh, reading and just corresponding with different people from eight o'clock in the morning till at least five o'clock and then when my kids went to bed i kind of got back onto it but uh, there's there's a lot of like psychological you know like psychological impact that has that's different I mean, it's been great it's been great to be home and be more available with my family but and you know i'm i'm getting up in in a way but but like the thing that i realize in in all of this covid-19 stuff is that these doctors a lot of them are kind of on their own islands and if the if you don't have somebody to have these types of communications with like you and i are having a conversation right now it can be really challenging. Yeah, I've been I've been watching it, and I I there's certainly a wide range of reactions to all of it. Um, I think what um, when we come through this, I think one of the things we'll look back on are what are the things that we did at the time that we were uh, most challenged, um, and realize how that worked out. And I I probably think going forward we'll see some of these things that evolve during this time become mm -hmm. more commonplace in in practice and it will vary from location to location but certainly um something like this um it forces you to think differently um and and keeping in mind both the protection of your associates and of course um keeping the safety of your patients but also serving at the same time mm -hmm. um front of mind yeah yeah and it, and it's um yeah, again, it's, it's, 
I haven't really thought about any of that stuff from a sustainability standpoint. But again, I, I do think that um, we, we are forced now to think about these things in different ways. And this is a, you know, if there is a silver lining, as Matt and I were discussing before, if there is a silver lining, um, this is the time to find it, really. I think in, in spite of the, 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 um, the prompt, I guess, maybe mm, if, if yeah, that's the, the appropriate um, yeah. word choice there, um, in spite of that, um, I do think that as we move through this and move past it, um, there will be ways that people think differently. There will be ways that people think differently about what urgent and emergent means. There will be ways that people think differently about how they staff their practices, how they deliver care, how they respond with empathy, and, and maybe how people approach empathy before might look differently than how they approach it now. So um, I see a lot of potential for ways to rethink things. And I think it will also demonstrate to, to many of us who were forced into behavior change without have being able to necessarily give it much thought that sometimes the act of doing brings the confidence that allows you to continue thinking differently and trying new things. Mm -hmm. And it's just that first prompt that um, people need to, uh, to consider change. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to say that there's been uh, something positive for us and, and I'm going to get into it cause I'm going to ask you, Michelle, in just a few seconds about, cause it's on my mind. So don't, don't let me forget um, about, preventative care and and because we're, we're so far away I think these two weeks have made people sort of forget about preventative care but I want to come back to that when um, the, the two things right away that have have forced us in my practice that I think are going to be good long-term potentialities is that one since our teams are split up we have the team that is not on site answering phones so and it's actually, I haven't heard the phone ring once, you know, for the last three days. And it's, it's pretty nice because the people who are here are focused on what's going on here with the patients we have. So I think that's going to be a positive out, out, outcome for our practice is that once we get back and everybody's together again, when we look to hire somebody else, if we're going to fill that role, I think we're going to offload that outside the practice because that, that seems to be quite effective. Uh, the other thing is that we've incorporated telehealth stuff. So our, our ability to try to keep a patient that needs to be seen but doesn't either want to come into our practice and, and certainly doesn't want to get into an urgent care or an emergency room to take care of their eye, eye condition has, has really allowed us, I think, to, to uh, put in place some easy things potentially in the future that will allow us to kind of use our services in different ways, not probably the primary way we're going to use our services, but definitely a way that can expand our services to patients that may not be, may, it may not be easy for them to come into our practice. And, um, and so anyway, I, I think those are, um, but, but the other thing I think about is, uh, okay, so how are we going to educate patients about preventative healthcare? And, and now that we have time to slow down, you know, we can talk more to patients about um, you know, about their myopia, about educating them about the fact that, you know, they're going to uh, have a condition that will. So do you have any resources on that now? Like if doctors are slower that they could say, look, I want to be a, do a better job of communicating about myopia and its potential problems in the future. And how would I be better at communicating that with patients? 
Yeah, so one of the things that we have learned through our research around myopia management is that is, is how parents feel about um, myopia and how they feel about their children in contact lenses. Mm -hmm. And that it is a multiple conversation dialogue as opposed to one. Um, so for example, in our research, we learned that parents um, really don't understand what myopia is. Mm -hmm. um, and many of them don't understand that myopia and nearsightedness are the same thing. And so not to suggest that going back to basics, but I think it, we can become a bit complacent around because we're very familiar with these terms and even perhaps even if the parents um, have myopia, um, they've been diagnosed so long ago that it's been a long time since someone actually spoke about how, what myopia is, how it occurs, what changes in the eye actually happen. So I think a good place to start is with information that doctors already have, which is this is how the eye grows. This is what is age appropriate for different points. Um, and, and these kinds of risk factors make it um, possible that your child's at higher risk. Um, the other thing that's important to know about talking to parents about myopia is that they, um, they tend to respond more negatively if they perceive the message to be fear-based. So mm. for example, if we look at data mm. around retinal detachments or macular disease or glaucoma, while that may be true, um, that is something that's very difficult for a parent um, who's looking at their young child and say, that's the reason I need to act today, something that may or may not happen right. decades down the road. And so what's important to really focus on is what's important to the patient's lifestyle how their vision impacts their daily life, and really focus on how slowing the progression of myopia, how a potentially lower prescription is better for that child long-term and provides them with more choices and more options down the road. Yeah. And so it's things like that that we already probably have at our disposal that are, that are a great place to start. Um, I also think it's important to recognize that with, as with any patient education, it is an ongoing process. And so just because we had that conversation on the, on the first exam, when they come back again, especially if we see progressive disease, we're going to have the same conversation again or a similar conversation again because there's a lot of information out there and, and people are going to forget um, some of it. And unfortunately, sometimes they forget the most relevant pieces. Yeah, I think, I think your point about, and, and I think, what I'm hoping to ha be able to do is have you on um, in the future to just talk about myopia control, but um, we'll, we'll leave that there. I think one of your points is really well taken. And I think um, it's been beneficial to us is that our patients a lot of times won't act. I mean, when we're doing myopia control in our practice or ocular surface disease management or something else that um, the first time we talk about it, if we're the only people talking about it, then then it takes a while for it to sink in. And so we will often have patients that, that we've talked about it now for a couple of years in a row. And now the third year, when we talk about it again, they're like, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to do it. We just never, you know, we put it off and then, you know, a month turned into four months turned into a year. And so I guess my point is, is that in listening to you say that, it makes me remember that a lot of times our patients are just wanting consistency from us. When we're, when we are adding new technologies and new things into our practices, the consistent message that we have, not just all throughout the practice while that patient is there that one time, 
but it's consistent consistency that we have every time we see that patient about those same things that are important. And sometimes it's easy. And I find myself doing this as well is it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going to get it, especially now with COVID-19. It's kind of like, well, I'm just going to get them in and out as, as, fa- as fast as I can and address their issues as quickly as I can. And that's true. But it has to, it also makes me think, okay, I need to make sure that, um, that I'm not just going to get in that habit. And when we do have time again, I can, uh, I can address those things so that it is part of our consistent message as a practice to the patient about their long-term uh, eye health and, and vision well-being. No, it's, it's a great plan. And, and for those that have extra time right now to think about it, those are the kinds of things to be thinking about is how do we build, how do we build these kinds of conversations into um, our everyday? It's, it's often the case with these problem-oriented or urgent appointments that we're very much focused on what's in front of us. And that's why the patient came in. And, and obviously, that's first and foremost in their mind. But making sure that they get back into a regular care cycle for all of the reasons that comprehensive wellness um, eye exams are important because this is where these conversations about prevention, this is where the conversations about new innovation, this is where the conversations about lifestyle enhancement can all take place. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very difficult to add that to a uh, problem-oriented visit, particularly when people are emotionally um, concerned about about, um, either their condition or the surrounding environment, or, or in this case, both. Yes. And, and, and the doctor's concerned as well. I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're trying to maintain space and yeah, it's, it's uh, we're in wild times. So I, I want to say the last thing that I want to be respectful of your time, um, Michelle and Matt, but you know, I've been um, a supporter of optometry giving sight for a long time as, as has my dad. And um, you all have been, I, I can't recall how long you've been a partner with them. But I will tell you, it's amazing the things that they've been able to do. And, I, and I'm not sure they've been, well, I know for certain they wouldn't be able to do them with the generosity of the doctors supporting them and with Cooper Vision support over the years. So thank you for that. And I know you guys do a lot of other philanthropic things as well. Um, and it, it's not lost. I, I don't think it's lost on, on my optometric colleagues um, or on our, our patients or just in general, the well-being of, of our global community. So yeah, this is, this is um, an amazing program. And for those who aren't familiar with it, Optometry Giving Sight is, it's a global fundraising initi- initiative that uh, targets the prevention of blindness and impaired vision simply due to uncorrective refractive error. So this is a program that brings eye exams and glasses to people um, who need it. And so Cooper Vision is, is supporters of Optometry Giving Sight in a few ways. Um, the first way is this is a a place where our employees, our associates at Cooper Vision can raise funds to donate. Um, So we do this through all sorts of fun activities, right? These are team building activities. These are the Mm -hmm. jeans days and auctions and some of the wellness activities and races, all of those things that generate money in addition to just employee contributions. And then of course, the match from Cooper Vision um, will have given over um, 1 million, almost 1.2 million in funds um, in our time contributing mm. to um, optometry giving site. Wow. But one of the more interesting things, Chris, and, and, and that I think is something that we're incredibly proud of is that we also have the opportunity for our um, patients, the people who wear our contact lenses. I think we're all familiar with the patient rebates that we provide you to give to patients in the office. They 
are given the opportunity, if they wish, to donate some or all of mm -hmm. their patient rebate to optometry giving site. And so when you think about that, when you think about a patient who's, who's in your practice and sometimes makes the decision to purchase their contact lenses because a rebate is available and then we're giving them the option to then donate that money elsewhere, mm -hmm. um, it's a pretty incredible thought that they would, that they would pay that forward. Mm -hmm. And in the time that we have been doing that, um, we have raised another $800,000 for Whoa. optometry giving sight just from, from our, people who wear our contact lenses. Wow. Yeah, these are your patients saying, yeah. I, I, would, I'm, I'm, I want to give this forward. I want to give it to people who, who need eye exams and, and eyeglasses, which we're very proud of that. Yeah, you should be. I think that's a great way to end this, Michelle, Matt. I appreciate you having coming on. Um, I can't wait to do this again. I, I Again, I hope that we'll be able to have a conversation when better times are around and, and we get to focus more on um, my site and some of the, the other myopic control interventions. We'd be happy to, Chris. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, appreciate thanks for having us, Chris. Thanks.